Hello and welcome to the podcast of Tech EU. I am your host Andrew Degeler and this is a special episode of our podcast put together in collaboration with our friends at The Next Web. Today we are going to dig into the topic of governmental support for startups across Europe. And if you remember the last week's episode, you already know the drill. First we'll have a brief interview and then a wider discussion with an amazing panel. So get ready, we are about to start. This episode of our podcast is brought to you by Data Market Services Accelerator, or the DMS. That is a program backed by the European Commission, which provides training and investment opportunities to data-driven startup at no cost. DMS invites 50 startups across Europe to receive training in key topics such as data science, GDPR, and intellectual property, alongside mentorship from a consortium of industry-leading experts. If you want to find out more and join with your startup, head over to Data datamarketservices.eu and of course I will leave a link in the show notes so look for it in the post. Now my first guest today is Katerina Barunska, the Policy Officer at European Commission, uh, Directorate General for Research and Innovation. Hi Katerina, thank you so much for joining today. Hi Andy, thank you for having me. Now if you don't mind, let's start with a couple of background questions. Can you tell a bit more about yourself and what you're doing within the Commission but also what you did before? Yes, indeed. So as you said, I work currently in DG Research and Innovation, uh, which is the director general that supports both uh, funding for research and innovation across Europe, but not only because we have several associated countries, which means that our support actually extends the EU borders. I am currently part of the European Innovation Council Task Force that was set up only last year uh, with the specific objective to, to set up and implement the EIC pilot, but also the EIC fully fledged in the next framework program Horizon Europe. Our unit deals with financial instruments. So specifically focusing on the EIC accelerator uh, that provides grants and also equity to the selected startups and SMEs. And we can talk about that later. But also we have specific financial instruments for SMEs and mid-caps that are innovative in Europe and outside. And these instruments are called INNOFIN, the EU Finance for Innovators. Right. Yeah, this is really interesting. And uh, I just wanted to start uh, the conversation uh, with a question that's probably very simple, but also th this is something I know not everyone really is knowledgeable about. So Horizon 2020, uh, it has, has been a prolific program. Uh, it had around 80 billion uh, euros, if I'm not mistaken, in funding made available uh, within the last seven years. So what is the future of this program like? We are in the year 2020 now. So what's going to happen? And what are the other uh, support initiatives that uh, you are working on? Yes, so we are closely coming in to the end of Horizon 2020, which has been a very successful program with many new initiatives launched throughout its seven-year period. I think that what we've seen uh, over its implementation is that the relevance of the program still stands. The EU still spends way too little on research and innovation and needs to do more in terms of providing support to its startups uh, and SMEs uh, throughout various sectors. And it also needs to work on actually closing the innovation gap that it has vis-a-vis -vis its global competitors. So what we want to do in that respect is to have even a bigger program than Horizon 2020 was, for which the Commission has put forward a proposal for a new program, Horizon Europe, with a proposed budget of 100 
billion. So we really want to make our support to cutting edge research and to technological development even stronger in the in the coming seven years. Within Horizon Europe, what is the novelty? Uh, the main, let's say, novelty is a pillar that is specifically dedicated to innovation. So until now, we've put a lot of emphasis on research and on supporting different societal challenges, which we will still be doing in the coming framework program. But we also want to, let's say, dedicate our support to innovative companies, which we will do through the European Innovation Council that I've already mentioned, and which will provide support to deep tech startups with breakthrough innovations that have the potential to create and also disrupt markets and which are high risk with high growth and high market potential. Right. Okay, so let's move to the situation at hand, uh, the crisis, uh, the outbreak, the lockdowns that are hitting hard a lot of startups across Europe. So can you quickly walk me through what has been done so far on the commission level to offer uh, startups extra support uh, for uh, after the crisis began? Yes, we've been doing quite a lot. It's been a busy period for us, just as it, I think, is for uh, many other organizations, both at national, European and, and international levels. So the Commission support has started, um, I would say, as of early, early March, mainly when the lockdowns have started and when we realized that the various measures that were taken in place at national levels will have uh, quite deep repercussions on the economy and which are uh, specifically, let's say, having a very negative impact on the European SMEs and, and startups. One of the main uh, steps that we have taken uh, and what we what we achieved to do is to relocate the funding that we have uh, available. And since we are really at the last year of implementation of the various programs that, that we have, it's difficult to find um, a lot of firepower to help the companies. But we managed to unlock 1 billion of euros from the European Fund of Strategic uh, Investments that is part of the Juncker plan that was actually established in response response to the crisis, to the financial crisis in 2008. And thanks to this unlocked uh, funding, uh, which was channeled to our financial instruments, so specifically to the Innofin SME guarantee, but also to the Cosme Loan facility, which is uh, run by our colleagues in DG Crow. Thanks to these instruments, we are able to support innovative companies, uh, specifically SMEs and mid-caps in the European countries through a guarantee that the European Investment Fund provides to, to local banks and intermediaries. They can also be national promotional banks and institutions, uh, which then provide loans for uh, working capital or investment loans to their companies in their specific countries at better conditions. So, so what amount are we talking here? Uh, so specifically for Innofin SME guarantee, the loans amount range from 25,000 till 7.5 million euros. So that can be the range. Right. And how much were you able to uh, channel into this? So we've channeled to uh, the Innofin SME guarantee, I think it was 300 million, exactly because the 1 billion was split into Cosme and Innofin. So Cosme receives uh, 700 million and 300 million for the SME guarantee. But this will enable together with the amounts that we already have uh, in the program and that we had for the remainder of this year, they should allow for approximately 4 
billion of loans to SMEs because there is, of course, a multiplier effect and uh, the guarantee always has to be also matched by funding from the local banks uh, as such. Right. Understood. And I also wanted to ask a question, uh, another very specific one, really. Uh, you remember mm -hmm. that uh, fast track funding call uh, that uh, that you had in March uh, for startups fighting uh, the COVID-19 crisis? Yes. So it was uh, 164 million euros, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yes. So maybe I need to explain a little bit because... Mm -hmm. Indeed, uh, we had a call um, under the EIC. We have open calls that are running without stopping, but we have a cut of dates. Uh, mm -hmm. And at the cutoff dates, we always take the applications that we receive until then. And we do a whole evaluation round with remote evaluation and then face-to-face -face interviews and final selection of the companies that we want to want to support. When the crisis started, we already had a call running with a deadline uh, in March. And exactly the amount there was uh, about 164 million. But given uh, the, um, the recent crisis and the situation, we thought that we should take advantage of this open call and encourage companies that are developing COVID-19 related products, processes, various innovations to apply to this call so that uh, we could provide for a fast funding. When we made this change and this plea to companies to actually apply, at the time the amount uh, for the call was around 164 million, but because it attracted quite a lot of interest and a lot of applications, um, what we managed to do inside the commission and with her, uh, remaining Horizon 2020 budget is to actually allocate a dedicated budget for the COVID-19 related applications that we received. So in addition to the 164, we have an additional 150 million for the projects that will be selected. Okay, understood. So, and uh, yeah, my question uh, around it was that I kind of know how certain companies uh, kind of function when it comes to uh, grant money. And uh, what I, my, my first thought when I uh, heard, when I saw this call was that it probably should cause a whole wave of, let's put it this way, poorly prepared proposals uh, that uh, would uh, barely have anything to do with uh, COVID-19 and so on. Was that indeed the case? Uh, what, was the, what was the quality of those proposals like and what are the preliminary results of that call? I think that many people had the same idea as you probably and because we received many similar questions also from, from the member states. The selection process is not yet uh, finalized. We will have the interview uh, phase next week. The face-to-face -face interviews, which now will take place remotely, so they will take place from the 11th to 20th of May. So as I said, we received an extensive amount of proposals, uh, almost 4,000 uh, eligible applications, which is 110% more. Out of these, around 1,400 were COVID-related, meaning that our colleagues did a word search uh, and analyzed quickly the proposals, and 1,400 were related to COVID-19. Out of these, because the, um, the remote evaluation phase is now over, out of these, around 179 
actually exactly 179, have passed the threshold that we have in terms of excellence, impact, and quality of uh, of implementation. So 179 out of these, uh, let's say, passed that to the next phase, which uh, is around, well, which is over 10%. And given the fact that... Um, this call or EIC in general is very competitive and usually there is only a 3% success rate. I think that uh, we are still uh, looking at very good uh, very good proposals. Now the question is how many of these actually will pass um, the interview stage and will be in the end funded because I have to say that not all of them will be invited to the interview um, because course. usually the way we work is we cannot invite everybody because of the budget limitations that we have. So we always invite twice the amount of budget that is available, uh, which would mean that uh, only less than 100 of the good uh, and excellent proposals we've received and who passed the threshold will be invited to the interviews. And then I think that in early June or so, by the end of this month, uh, we should have the results uh, available and published. Right. So uh, uh, you mentioned uh, that uh, these, uh, uh, with these uh, applications, uh, more than 10% uh, got through these uh, first uh, stage uh, of assessment. But how uh, was the normal? What's the normal number? Uh, how does it normally go with these uh, with this cut of dates and applications? I think it's uh, it's similar. So what we've mm -hmm. seen uh, in the um, in the previous calls. So right now, um, I'm I'm only mentioning the two cut of dates that we had under the CAC accelerator pilot. So the first one was in uh, October of last year, the cut of date, and the other one was in uh, January. Uh, we usually receive around 1,900 uh, applications uh, per cut off. And usually around 170 are invited to the to the interviews. So I think that even now we are we are looking at similar similar situation. And from the two cutoffs that we had previously, we funded around 119 companies or so. So it's a very right. it's a very competitive process. It's very difficult for companies to get in. Um, I'm sure you've heard about the fact that we have many um, resubmissions because it doesn't work the first time. Maybe a company reaches the face-to-face -face interview stage where they actually interact with uh, with our jury, which is composed of. Um, business angels, investors, uh, innovators, um, and who provide uh, usually quite good feedback on the project proposal, on the, um, on the business plan, on the team as such. Uh, and based on this feedback, the companies can always uh, improve their proposals and then come back and try, try once again. Understood. Great. Okay, let's uh, move on uh, from this topic. It was really uh, sort of my curiosity and I was really interested in uh, digging uh, all the way into this. I'm sorry for that. And uh, now we can talk uh, about the topic at hand. And uh, my first question on the other topic would be, how do you see actually the role of the European Commission compared to the role of individual governments when it comes to startup support? I think that our role cannot be looked at without first looking at what is happening at the at the national level. And the two levels really need to be complementary because the support that we can provide at EU level, not only in terms of the funding amount, but also in terms of trainings and the ecosystem in large, the national level is really, it is the, the backbone 
of what we mm-hmm. can do. So we work uh, quite extensively also with uh, national agencies and with uh, with the ecosystem at national level um, because it's important that the support that companies receive from their country as such, then prepares them for our European programs, because we really cannot provide support to everybody. Uh, We only will be supporting the best of the best. And then it's uh, on the national level that needs to be actually matched, if that is understandable. Right. Yeah, I, I think I understand what you mean. So, And then uh, another uh, question would be, are you, as in the commission, are you using uh, the expertise of these uh, local governmental startup organizations uh, to help you assess uh, program applications and uh, distribute the support uh, that you want to distribute? Yes, we work with uh, with them quite closely. For example, one way of cooperation is the fact that we have our program committee. So the committee that reviews, for example, the EIC work program and what the commission has in mind in terms of implementation of of our support, that is done very closely uh, in collaboration with and in discussion with the member states representatives who always provide us with feedback on our proposals. Uh, They also provide us with feedback on how um, our instruments are being implemented uh, in their member states. And what is the feedback they receive from the companies? Because they are the ones who have direct contact with with the companies that then apply to us for support. Um, and it is through this constant, actually, exchange of uh, information and also opinions uh, that we work together and build better, better support and better programs uh, at the EU level. We also have various coordination and support actions, which are projects funded from the EU budget and which are actually targeting, for example, national contact points, which are within each EU member state and uh, who work directly once again with companies who are interested uh, in applying for our instruments. Uh, And then through the training that we provide them or through the training that the projects provide to the NCPs, they can provide better information uh, to the interested individuals and companies about our programs, uh, what are the criteria for application, how to prepare and how to eventually succeed. Okay, and uh, do you see uh, these uh, patterns, <clears throat> these mechanisms of uh, collaboration with local governmental organizations, uh, do you see them changing? Uh, do you think it's going to be different? Do you think you would be able to maybe involve them in a more hands-on way? Hmm. I know that when we discussed uh, the Horizon Europe proposal, of course, the member states and the different national organizations uh, expressed their interest to um, remain involved in in the process and in uh, in the governance of the EIC, for example, in in the future program. So all of these options are are being discussed. The way and also how it can be done in a most effective and efficient way. What I, for example, didn't mention is that uh, when we look at the EIC, it has um, quite a new governance structure. We also have an advisory board uh, that is made up of selected experts from uh, various member states. Uh, They can be uh, researchers, they are innovators, they are investors, they are running various programs also at at the national level and it is once again their expertise uh, from the ground from various countries from different sectors uh, helps us 
actually design the, the EIC for the future. And I think it also makes the program relevant for the member states and for the companies that we want to support. Understood. And I listened to the other day to another interview of yours, another panel, actually, I think, and you mentioned that you, as in the Commission and the EIC, are not planning any more sort of targeted calls like the one we discussed earlier. Uh, then what are you planning then? What uh, are, uh, are there going to be any other support programs for uh, crisis hit startups? So I was referring mainly to this year and because of, as I mentioned, because of the mainly the budget that we have, we cannot really uh, do any additional calls than the ones we have planned. Uh, so in the coming months, now we are already in May, uh, in two weeks time, uh, we have another cutoff date for actually a targeted call that is uh, specifically related to Green Deal projects. So those that are in line with uh, the, green, the Commission's Green Deal communication, um, let it be related to circular economy, to agri-food, um, renewable energy, and many other sectors. Uh, so that call uh, still stands, um, and the amount we have available for that is uh, 303 million euros. And then we will have another but bottom-up call uh, uh, with a cut-off date on the 7th of October. So we are keeping these two these two calls, but uh, we are not really able to have any additional calls, mainly because of the budgetary situation. So it could change next year, for example. So yes, indeed, next year it's uh, the new MFF should come in place, um, and it's actually quite difficult for me right now to talk about the future years because now that we are in such a crisis situation, the Commission is also rethinking uh, its proposals for the next multiannual financial framework, and by the end of this month we should have a new proposal uh, published, which may include new figures for for the programs that were already uh, on the table, such as Horizon Europe, but also InvestEU, which is actually the flagship program for future investment support to uh, European companies and public and private promoters when it comes to SMEs, sustainable infrastructure, research, innovation and digitization, and also social investments. Uh, mm -hmm. So the new proposal may also uh, come forward with new recovery package and recovery support to, to startups, to SMEs. But it's really too early to talk about that because um, we don't really have visibility on what this recovery package will include. Right. Katerina, thank you so much uh, for your answers. Uh, this was it for my questions. And now we can uh, bring the discussion to our great panel of the day. Before that, a quick reminder, this episode is brought to you by Data Market Services, an equity-free program backed by the European Commission. The program offers matchmaking with investors, mentorship, and even a chance to get a free ticket for the TNW conference in Amsterdam. Head over to datamarketservices.eu for more info on how to boost your startup. Now, let me introduce today's panelists. First, Kat Borlongan, the director at La French Tech. Hi, Kat. Thanks a lot for joining today. Oh, hi. Sorry, pushed the wrong button there. Hello. <laughs> Second, uh, Niels Beers, the CEO at uh, TechLeap in the Netherlands. Uh, hi, Niels. Uh, great to hear you. Hey, great to be here. And we have with us uh, Olga Barreto, the chief startup instigator at the Investment and Development Agency of Latvia. Uh, hi, Olga. Thanks for joining. 
Hey, thank you for having me. And of course, we still have Katerina Barunska of the European Commission uh, here with us to answer some of the uh, questions I have in my next list. Now, let us start. Uh, I would normally, you know, start with an introduction uh, round, but we don't have that much time. So we're going to, let's say, combine the intro round with a uh, uh, with the first question. So a question for Kat, Niels and Olga. Could you please outline the measures uh, that your respective governments are currently taking to support startups? Uh, starting from you, Kat. Sure. So France put in place a general economic support plan for all companies, and this includes startups, of course. Uh, some of the highlights for France, we have we're talking about 300 billion in liquidity support, which allows us to back the loans. Um, there are also measures that allow companies to skip tax payments, rent and utility bills. And the most important, I think, is that companies can put employees on what we call chômage partiel or partial unemployment, which means that employees can receive up to like 84, something like 84 to 100 percent of their salary covered by the French government. And, you know, that that's the part that is general for all companies. But France uh, believes in the future of tech entrepreneurship. And for startups, we thought we needed to go the extra mile. Uh, one of the first things we did pretty much immediately was to unlock 80 million in, for a fund, a very small fund called French Tech Bridge. Uh, we had a lot of VCs that you know may have retracted term sheets. So there's that sort of slowed down their investment pace. And we wanted to make sure that we were there to catch the startups that were caught a little bit off guard when this happened. Uh, we also put in place a special track for startups that need the state-backed loans. As you know, like I think this is the case with a lot of European countries where they need to sort of justify some amount of profitability uh, over the last few years. But for startups, which you know are not necessarily revenue positive avant before a certain time, um, we put in a measure that allows them to borrow as much as two years of payroll for employees based in France or 25% of annual revenue, whichever is higher. We estimate that this represents roughly 2 billion euros and then, of course, um, startups can get tax returns more quickly, and in particular VAT returns and tax returns on, on R&D. This represents a liquidity injection of about $1.5 billion. And, um, you know, maybe as many people know, French government is also one of the most present startup investors there. And we are speeding up all forms of payments, whether it is through loans, through grants, through direct investments that, that are made by the French public bank. Uh, which account for another 250 million ahead of schedule. Right. And this is what makes France a poster child uh, for governmental bailouts for startups, I think. Now, uh, Niels, uh, can you talk a little bit uh, about uh, what's going on in the Netherlands and also uh, explain who you are and what TechLib does? Yeah, absolutely. So um, as, as TechLib, we, uh, we are a private foundation that is 100% government funded to help startups uh, become cool new companies, uh, great companies to, to change the world uh, in the future. Uh, we think that in, in Europe, there's a, there's a big chain, uh, change needed in, in terms of that we need way more companies that, that grow into the next Facebook and Googles of this world. This world. And obviously, our role now has, has changed dramatically into providing uh, being a knowledge center for for how do we how to support startups best in times of crisis i think most measures that we are taking are pretty similar to what what's happening in europe so we we also have a, a, a partial employment uh, system that is a little bit uh, different from other places where you, so you don't have ex actually be you don't have to be in uh, how do you say it uh, you can actually still work while being paid by the government it's it's based on uh, the amount of revenue drop that you have 
we also have bank guarantees and we have uh, that kind of thing. But what we saw immediately, however, was that a lot of these things are not perfectly tailored for startups. So uh, there's a lot of startups using this, but we felt like the most important thing and the most, uh, the easiest way to actually help startups is by, by providing them with funding. So we had a, a 200 million bridge funding uh, that went live uh, last week. This is the first package. So, so uh, this is the Netherlands and we, we usually, I, I really love how, how France is, is really putting out these big numbers and, and it shows the ambition and the kind of commitment that you have uh, to the ecosystem. Here in the Netherlands, we, 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 uh, we have a more decentralized approach, so we, 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 do, we don't like to stick out our neck uh, too far, but I'm, I'm really glad with how the government is reacting and uh, I'm very confident that we keep on pouring money into the system where, where needed. Uh, so the first 200 million was announced um, last week and we uh, just uh, yesterday evening we announced that already 500 million was applied for. Um, so it, it shows that there's a really big need to do this and uh, we're working with the government to find the uh, solutions uh, for this. Yeah, so so just as a starting point. Right, great. Uh, Olga, can you talk a bit about, uh, about uh, Latvia and uh, uh, what's actually uh, going on uh, in the country? Right, so hello from the Baltics. Um, on March 12th, <laughs> uh, the state of emergency was declared. And uh, within a few weeks, so actually very quickly, a uh, 1 billion euro relief program for businesses overall was kicked off and was running. But we should see that as an MVP, so to say, right? The government really rushed into launching some support as quick as possible. And what happened then? Uh, we started to work on the MVP to improve it and uh, also feed into that the feedback of various groups, including startups. So just to comment on the relief program itself, uh, just as Kat actually mentioned, very similar measures, uh, some tax holidays for companies and uh, VAT returns processed faster and some monetary support for those employees who are in downtime, um, also soft loans and uh, assisted traveling because Albeit the borders are closed, uh, some companies still did need to do some traveling, so, so the government also took care of that. So, and then um, while this uh, relief program was already rolling, uh, we, and I, I do come from, from the government sector, Investment and Development Agency of Latvia, and we run under Startup Latvia, uh, kind of uh, team and brand. So we conducted a very large survey of startups um, and we identified the three main areas uh, which were hit very hard by the crisis. And those were those startups which experienced that, their, that the demand for their products dropped significantly and they were cash strapped and they were struggling to keep people. The second group were those who actually were preparing for investment round, but it was postponed. We know that investors tend to be risk averse and putting their investments on hold when the crisis hit. So that those startups were also ca were cash strapped uh, with shorter runways and they had to think of how to keep their people. And the third category was actually those startups uh, which did not experience any decrease in the demand for their product, but uh, their supply chain was affected. And keeping in mind that in Latvia we have quite a substantial and growing deep tech like startup uh, sector, uh, it, they were really struggling to basically satisfy the demand due to the lack of, of their own supply. They couldn't produce 
the product, right? And so, yes, based on the survey, uh, we gave a lot of feedback uh, to the parliament and to the government, those, those decision makers who were shaping this relief package, and it was taken into consideration. So some adjustments were made uh, and um, also existing support measures, because even prior to COVID-19, uh, we've had quite a decent package for startups, including different innovation vouchers and special startup tax regimes. So all those uh, instruments were made somewhat easier and more accessible and f- and also fast-tracked, you know, for, for startups. So, yeah, this would be pretty much in a nutshell. Right. Okay. Now a very short, uh, very short, very hands-on question that uh, I uh, heard some complaints about. So uh, Olga, starting with you, uh, have you actually already started distributing the emergency funding uh, for startup if startups if you have this sort of program? And if yes, how many startups have already got it? And if not, when will this process start? Right. So as there is this whole package um, available, 1 billion euro, uh, in the context of Latvia, it's a very substantial amount uh, for, for businesses. Uh, there, is, there is no specific startup program related to COVID-19 negative impact, right? So just, just keeping this in mind. Mm-hmm. So my estimate would be that dozens uh, of startups are already availing of the relief support. So to answer the question, the relief is being out there and the companies have already uh, received the first approvals uh, of, for instance, tax, ho- tax holidays. The employees have received their monetary support for the downtime time and things like that. But what I would like to emphasize, right now, all eyes are on the comprehensive recovery program for the for the economics of, of, of Latvia, right? And at the moment, the government is putting together this comprehensive program. So at the moment, we are in this relief, you know, phase mm-hmm. when we need to make sure companies survive, but actually everybody is asking and demanding an answer from the government, okay, what's next? Once the relief is over, how are we going to rebuild? And this program will take, I would say, uh, still uh, a few weeks for sure, if not a couple of months. Yeah. Understood. Niels, are uh, Dutch startups already getting the first uh, the first money uh, in the bank? Um, so, from all the regular uh, startup measures, they are de- they definitely are. From the specific startup bridge loans, uh, we opened uh, the call last week. Today, uh, I saw the first update that that the first ones have been approved. So that means that the money will be uh, transferred anywhere maximum within a week. Um, So the the program is live and now uh, actually running for the startup specific measures as well. Right. Uh, Kat, uh, how is it for France? Um, so for France, almost half of the French check bridge has already been used. We have a hard time cataloging the actual administrative difference between a regular company and a startup. But I can mm-hmm. tell you for now that 150,000 companies have already received, uh, at the minimum 150,000, have already received sort of pre-approval for the state-backed loans, which amounts to a total of 22 billion euros, 42, 40 million of which is still currently being um uh, is is currently being processed so that's yeah mm-hmm. it's a lot of money <laughs> indeed uh startup so far i guess it depends on the regions but the feedback that we're getting so far is for a lot of startups it's been pretty much automatic and i think the average is something like 45 days from the time that it's approved 
Understood. Yeah, that's a that's a good number for sure. But I mean, money is great, and uh, these big numbers are also great. But uh, what is there beyond uh, the public funding? So, what do you think? What else can the governments do, and what sort of additional support mechanisms uh, could be implemented? Uh, Kat, can you answer this? I think I can answer it with a question. Like we, I think support is the wrong word. I think. I think, um, you know, I certainly think bailout is the wrong word. What we're doing right now is we, these measures specifically for startups were designed to stop the hemorrhaging. The, the crisis is far too, like, it's too violent. Like not, a lot of startups didn't have the time to get themselves together and to organize their cash flow and prepare their runway and adjust to the, you know, these massive shifts. And that's what the start, like the 4 billion startup plan of France was designed to do. Now we have to keep in mind that, you know, 90% of startups, COVID or not COVID, don't make it past year five in general. So, I mean, you know, this is something that Niels and I, um, you know, talk about uh, quite a bit. It's, you know, at what point is funding keeping artificially keeping a lot of companies afloat um, when in fact they should be pivoting and they should be refocusing and they should be downsizing and you know what's the point at which you're actually still supporting and boosting your startup ecosystem so i think these are some of the big questions that you know that are going to um, that are going to be coming forward in the next few days the next few weeks Um, right now like i said we're still kind of uh you know stopping a lot of the a lot of the bleeding and making sure that our companies have enough time to fix the cash one way that they need to make the uh, necessary adjustments. And, you know, we're talking about some of the companies that have been hit the hardest. Now, some of the companies that have been hit the hardest, like, you know, events or travel, uh, whatnot, are also companies that are in areas that are going to be changed forever. You know, so it's not a matter of just putting a bandaid on, waiting for the wound to heal and then sort of letting it go. Uh, so, like I said, like funding is definitely definitely not enough. Um, funding is also not the only answer and a, a really smart mix, I think, of that and policy and, and just the right sort of stimulus packages um, is something that we're going to have to look at very closely. Right. So Nils, uh, since you discussed uh, this uh, question with Kat, as it turns out, uh, uh, what's, your, <laughs> what's your take on this? What do you think? Yeah, so, so I, I completely agree with what, what Kat is saying. And, and I think that the challenge that we, we have as, as Europe as a whole is is uh, more uh, of on a, how do we preserve the the startup ecosystem than than how do we preserve individual startups? So obviously we want to keep the majority of healthy startups alive, and that's that's an important way to preserve the ecosystem. But it's also about how do we make sure that we have the right amount of money for VCs? How do we have the right support structures? And what we've been seeing in the in the past crises in '99 and in 2008, we saw that Europe pretty much went into kind of a lockdown for startups, which resulted in uh, a lot of companies and talent being transferred to the US and in some lesser extent to China. And I think the, the chances of this happening again are, are bigger than ever. If you look at how well American private companies are capitalized at the moment, alone Apple, Google, Microsoft, they have hundreds of billions of cash in the bank to, to do all sorts of interventions and buy companies to help them accelerate the enormous growth that they're actually in because we use so much new uh, technologies in the past couple of months. I think the big challenge is how do we create our own ecosystem and how do we make sure that that we that that we provide an alternative where our companies also have a, the the uh, the capabilities to grow and to keep on pushing and 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 build amazing companies. Right. Olga, what's your take? Right, so maybe another point I'd like to add is uh, apart from the public funds what the government can definitely also be helpful with is um, basically being a task force which uh, can help identify the 
the spare resources and the capacities in the economy, right? So which which made uh, which were made idle due to COVID nineteen, and um, to help um, you know kick off this realignment of of the capacities. So what I'm saying is that. I mentioned also earlier the the supply chain, which is so important, right? So imagine uh, you were recently sourcing some stuff uh, for your startup from abroad. Now it's not possible. And if your work is stopped due to that, well, maybe at the same time you have someone in your own country who are doing something completely different, but but their capacity uh, and infrastructure allows to actually satisfy your demands. So identifying these additional opportunities, this is something which, for instance, our government is very active at at the moment, right? And another thing is uh, in times of crisis, let's not forget government is actually becoming that force which can keep uh, economy also afloat partially due to their own spendings. So And, and also in, in times of crisis, the government's uh, needs also increase a lot. So communicating these needs clearly with the with the innovation uh, uh, and tech ecosystem with startups is is of is of big importance. And so to have this open platform for this communication is another angle we can look at. In Latvia, for instance, it's happening uh, since basically day one. And um, this hack force, online hackathon, which uh, perhaps some of you might have heard of, we were um, second after Estonia to launch it. And that was the very first exercise to create this open platform. So here is the government. We do have needs. Immediately, those needs would be, you know, medical supplies and things like that. So please come step step up and, and either pivot or, or from, from your existing uh, product or actually assemble a completely new team and address this, this problem. So yeah, things like that actually work in times of crisis and the results of the Hackforce Hackathon the winners, they're still up and running. Actually, the, the number one winner, uh, which created the face masks called the Shield uh, 48, they are exporting at this point. So in less than two months from zero to export. Yeah, this is something interesting. Yeah, th- this is not something you see a lot after hackathons. Uh, Kat, do you have something to add? Yeah, no, it's like something that I'm hearing both from Niels and both from Olga, and I sort of want to take advantage of, of Katerina being um, with us as well, is, you know, I think what we're talking about at the end of the day are also issues regarding our sovereignty. And then that's something that uh, the crisis has certainly shed light on. You know, we are seeing, you know, as Niels was saying, we're seeing, uh, you know, all of these well-capitalized big tech companies that are able to take on talent that will find themselves uh, on the streets. Um, we're also looking at potentially like, you know, aggressive tech buyouts of some of the companies that find themselves a little bit more vulnerable. We're looking at, you know, we're looking at all of our mission critical infrastructure, there's cloud or data, and we're realizing that these are not European companies. And especially now at a time that we're switching to remote, um, you know, we're realizing how dependent Europe has become on these technologies. And and I think like the question, you know, sort of like to, to Olga's point is a little less on like, oh, how do we sort of help startups or like as, as Neil was saying, how do we help the ecosystem support uh, as opposed to individual startups? But, you know, how do we make sure that our startups can also help Europe at this time, um, I think, because it's a time that you know they need us to support them, but we also really need them as we take us, you know, as we take ourselves forward at a time that's really quite tricky from a technological standpoint. Right, right. Katerina, do you agree with this? Uh, with this sort of view, is this something that uh, you are uh, thinking about as well? Yes, certainly. I'm, I'm listening, and I'm just nodding my head. <laughs> 
in my room uh, because it is a narrative that we already started with uh, the EAC since its beginning. I think that everyone saw the idea or the concept of the European Innovation Council as an entity that's going to be supporting uh, startups uh, in Europe and building European champions. But I would say that's only part of the story. The real One of the real objectives is to um, ensure that Europe is able to take over sovereignty in strategic sectors that are strategic for Europe and for our economy. And I think that now, uh, during the COVID-19 crisis, we've seen that uh, Europe is over-reliant, not only, yes, on technologies, but also on production capacity on other countries. Uh, So what we really want to do now is to Firstly, and that was mentioned by Niels, I think, is really provide opportunity for startups to to scale up and to grow in Europe so they don't have to turn to other countries, uh, investors coming up from abroad when they're looking for finance to actually grow. And the second is indeed, as Kat was saying, to support European startups and companies to develop solutions, European solutions for our citizens and make sure that new technologies, new products and services are really used for the benefit of our society as a whole. I think that that is really the narrative we had before and now it's been even strengthened by the current situation that we are all facing in Europe. Right. And since you already mentioned uh, local investors, uh, how are you actually supporting uh, VCs uh, rather than startups on the commission level? Yes. So we also have instruments specifically designed to support the venture capital ecosystem. Under Innofin, which I already mentioned before, we have a product called Innofin Equity, which is implemented also by the European Investment Fund because the EIF is really our main partner when it comes to uh, supporting early stage uh, companies, both um, on the grant side, but also on the equity side. So through uh, Innofin Equity, the EIF is able to invest into or alongside venture capital funds, business angels, uh, tech transfer funds which have an investment strategy focus on early stage uh, companies, startups, SMEs, um, and help them help them to grow and to develop their solutions. So under Enough Inequity, we've already supported since its start in uh, 2015, around 67 financial intermediaries who then mm-hmm. invested into uh, over 600 uh, final beneficiaries, once again in Europe, but also we work with... Uh, funds, for example, in Israel or in Norway, uh, which are investing then also in European companies. So we are really joining uh, the different ecosystems in Europe, but also uh, also outside. I've already mentioned at the beginning that uh, one of our actions was to unlock um, the funding for, for SMEs in Europe uh, to provide them with immediate capital relief. And now we are also looking at uh, what we should be doing on the equity side and how we can boost our support um, to the venture capital funds. Because what we already see is that, um, of course, they are also facing uh, difficulties in this situation and they are not able to uh, either achieve the closing that they were supposed to achieve because investors are, are leaving and turning away um, or they are not, uh, they've stopped investing into, into companies uh, which is uh, which is a shame for the startups that have that are looking for funding. So the next step for us would be to uh, also design specific support on the equity side. Right, Olga, how is it? Uh, how is it in Latvia? Have you come up with uh, any sort of programs to support uh, local VCs? 
Well, right. Um, you know, having started my professional career in investment banking uh, once upon a time and now continuing um, my work in, in the government sector, I personally believe that the government should not intervene much or, you know, like impose or try to, to support uh, VCs that much. Um, the main thing which the government should do is uh, create a friendly legal framework. VC-friendly legal framework and regulations so that uh, VCs are not drowned by all the paperwork and that all related fees are not too violent. But other than that, I do believe that actually it's a, it's it's VC business from that moment and onwards. Having said that, however, um, I shared my personal opinion, right? But uh, what happens in Latvia, uh, actually there, there are some um, VC um, programs which are funded and supported by by the government. So at the moment, we do have three um, VC funds running uh, with uh, basically this kind of support, uh, active and uh, very lucrative for early stage startups. And also, uh, they actually have been there for the last couple of years. It's not COVID-19 related, right? And uh, these three um, VC funds will be also uh, complemented by two growth funds in the coming year or two. So uh, there is that, yes. Right, understood. Uh, Kat, did you want to ask uh, to add something to this? Yeah, so on the VCs, I mean, I guess where I'm not, I mean, you know, I want to say like theoretically, I understand that, but from a more kind of like, you know, historical perspective, I mean, I'm sure a lot of you know a little bit about the history of the French tech ecosystem. We're a super young ecosystem, right? Like we've only been around for about four or five years or so. And and one of the main things that has actually been able to get our ecosystem to where it is in such a short period of time has been uh, the role of, uh, of of BPI France, the, the French investment bank, and the amount of support that they've actually been giving to VCs, where especially now when, you know, we're asking ourselves a lot of questions in which startups are Support and so on and so forth. On the contrary, I'm not entirely sure how capable uh, government would be, and you know, I say this as someone who is in government, to individually assess each startup. However, we do know which of the startups are likely to be stronger because they're the ones that their existing investors are pouring money into. So just so you know, France, um, COVID aside, already put something like 1.3 billion a year in startup-specific funds, not counting the 7 billion a year in, in R&D tax credits and another 10 billion in, in overall um, in innovation funding. Now, all of these things were quite aggressively designed um, over the last four years to make sure that you could really sort of like leapfrog. There are just some things that I think, you know, where I think that VCs really need to play need to play a, a quite a big role, and it's also been I think useful for us in sort of like lassoing uh, some of the VCs that I mean I'm sure your startups have experienced this as well that have had relatively shady practices regarding sort of like valuations and renegs and things like that um, post COVID. So they're definitely a big part of uh, of our work and and how we we plan on moving forward. Right. Since uh, Olga and Kat already said something on this, I will also have to ask Nils, uh, what's uh, what's your take? Uh, how do you, if at all, uh, support uh, your uh, VCs in the Netherlands? Yeah, so, so I think what we're, what we're doing is uh, we're, we're mostly looking at this from an ecosystem perspective, as, as mentioned earlier. So how do we make sure that, the mo- that, that we get VCs, uh, that VCs re- remain uh, or, or, or keep on having enough liquidity? Um, I think what, what, what one of the things that we've been doing is, for example, the bridge loans that we've been given uh, also help VCs in a major way because 
they don't have to support their portfolio companies with the liquidity that they have left. And now they, and they can use that liquidity to actually do proper follow-up rounds and stuff like that. So I, I think we're looking at this from a very practical point of view. And also, of course, we're starting the discussion and I think the discussion is going on everywhere on how do we, looking forward, the, the, I think the, the question becomes way more interesting in, in how do Europe and how do the Netherlands and how do, do, do we see our role in the world and what, what is the role that we want our VCs to play and, and, and uh, how do we make sure that they do that in a way that we actually uh, feel very uh, that, that we are happy about also on diversity and those kind of things um, but for now it's been all about uh, trying especially with our bridge funding uh, we, we've been really focusing on let's make sure that we can provide bridge funding for all types of companies from from zero to about 10 million plus uh, uh, bridge funding and then make sure that that this money is used for the emergency measures and that we then hopefully create a, a, a situation where the VCs have enough liquidity to 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 keep on uh, going for a while and then then yeah let's see where the crisis go to to look at more structural and improvements right okay so we are almost out of time for this uh, conversation so uh, same as in the last episode i really want to uh, wrap things up with a question for everyone on the panel if uh, you were to give just one brief piece of advice to startups that are struggling fundraising right now from your governmental support perspective what would it be uh, Niels, i'll start with you oh wow uh, thanks um so I think that the number one perspective is, and, and this is a very, very shitty one, but I, th I think it's don't count on the government as the one to bail you out, but and as the government to help <laughs> you recover. Yeah, but, but to help you in your recovery. And I think the difference is that if you're in a recovery mindset and, you know, and think, okay, oh my God, the world is going to shit and we need to do everything we can. And then the government might be there to, to help you on that last piece of the puzzle that you're missing to, to keep your business afloat uh, is something entirely different than hoping that the government will just give you money to keep on doing business as usual because i think it's becoming pretty clear that that business as usual will be over for quite some time so i think that's that's my my number one advice great thank you so much uh katerina uh, what uh, what do you think what would you advise so for those that are, you said for those that are struggling well I could advise to to look at uh, the opportunities that we offer at EU level for uh, support. But I also want to uh, go back to what Kat mentioned uh, previously, and I think it's quite important that the crisis is said should, um, to a certain extent, be taken as an opportunity, both from our let's say, government perspective to um, design programs to support companies and to really think where we want the support to go, but also uh, from the perspective of the companies to rethink their strategies and their business plans and to really focus and maybe pivot uh, their ideas and their their projects um, so that they make it relevant for, for the not only the current situation, but also for the future, because I think that um, the world that we will come out in uh, after this crisis might be quite different from what it was in the past. And we may need new models for way, way of doing things, for working and for running our economy. And we will need the new ideas. And from the EU level, we will be happy to support them. Right. No kidding. Uh, now, Olga, what, do you, uh, what sort of advice do you give your startups? Right. So, uh, you know, 
Number one, I always tell to work really hard to keep the talent intact. This is a pain in the Baltic uh, states for, for, the, for the last time, for the last years, I mean. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's a very scarce resource. So uh, get creative about keeping your talent. This is number one. Number two, and uh, exactly what Katerina uh, said, uh, and to voice uh, as well this pain, is, um, yeah, there is a need to explore pi- uh, pivoting opportunities and also new markets and ma- maybe also spinning off and maybe while spinning off, also uh, collaborate with those who struggle. So, you know, if there is someone uh, still strong and standing and uh, identified an opportunity to do something else on the side and, for instance, uh, need the resources and the great talent, well, approach those uh, who actually struggle and at the moment have not much to do, but there is great talent there. So, yeah, we really need to get creative. I, I think creative would be the key word for that. Right, absolutely. Now, Kat, uh, what is uh, what is your take? I guess it'd be a little different for those who are whose companies are taking off. You know, the founders who are in healthcare, remote work, online education. It turns out that you know the in e-commerce. It turns out that the verticals that are kicking off pretty strongly right now also happen to be the ones that have been the most heavily regulated once in the past. And I know that, you know, government has not always had such a great track record when it comes to, you know, being very quick when it comes to, you know, regulations on those areas. But I think you have to trust them again and and, and work with them really proactively to expediently take out those outdated um, regulations that are preventing you from becoming one of Europe's future tech champions. And I think you'd be surprised at how much they're much more willing to listen to you today than they were pre-COVID. And then I think another another message might be advice maybe for those who for whom it's a little too late already who are, you know, who are watching their 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 biz depth completely plummet and are having to think about laying off their employees and closing up shop. Um, they're going to be quite a lot of those those startups. And and my message for them is please like don't give up. I I still believe in the future of tech entrepreneurship. France certainly believes in the future of tech entrepreneurship. Um, the e- European Commission is still there. Uh, you know, the world will look very differently. Um, the ecosystem will look very differently um, from the way that it did pre-COVID. But there are still so many of the world's biggest problems, from global warming to healthcare crises, that need really smart, creative, hardworking entrepreneurs that are going to solve those problems. So please have faith in entrepreneurship, and we have, we'd be happy to have you back. Yeah, it's really easy to believe that uh, we will not run out of crisis for entrepreneurs to <laughs> tackle, that's for sure. <laughs> now, Kat, thank you so much. This is a great uh, way to end uh, this uh, conversation. Once again, our great panelists of today, Kat Borlongan, Director at La French Tech, Niels Beers, CEO at TechLeap, Olga Barreto, Chief Startup Instigator at the Investment and Development Agency of Latvia, and Katerina Barunska, Policy Officer at the European Commission, Director General for Research and Innovation. Thank you so much. You are amazing. And you know, I did it last time and I'm going to do it right now. Just imagine that uh, all this conversation happened at a nice conference venue with a lot of audience and now you get uh, the reaction that you certainly deserved. thank you so much thank you you are absolutely amazing now before we wrap things up for today's episode a quick shout out if you are a startup founder check out data market services accelerator funded by the european commission alongside many data-driven trainings dms also provides 50 selected startups with bespoke investor matchmaking and here is how it works the dms team will send the profile of each startup to relevant vcs and facilitate meetings and all of it equity free so head over to data 
www.marketservices.eu to find out more and make an application. Now, this is it for today's episode. I do hope that you enjoyed listening to us today. Thank you for checking this out. Please help us spread the word, tell a friend or colleague about the show and follow our updates on Twitter at tech underscore EU. This episode is created in collaboration with our friends at The Next Web. Audio engineering for this podcast is done by SoundPulse, that is sound-pulse.com. Please feel free to email us with any questions, suggestions and opinions at podcast at tech.eu. Wherever you are, we hope you can stay safe and take care of yourself and people around you. Have a good week and I'm going to talk to you next Monday. Bye-bye.